Set your course for the Hoth system. General Veers, prepare your men. All troops will debark for ground assault. Prepare to target the main jet. Echo Station 3PA. On an Imperial Walker. Attack pattern Delta. Go now. Watch that crossfire, boys. Right now, I feel like I'd take on the whole Empire myself. Target, maximum firepower. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Echo Base. This is episode number 227, recorded on Sunday. This is the 9th of August. Um, I mean, one of the strange time frame things here where, you know, a tornado came through or a hurricane came through, whatever the hell it was, and I'm all messed up on what day it is and so forth. So I'm a little brain dead. Um, I'm going to have Tim kind of help me be my 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 brain tonight and kind of help out with stuff. T- Tim, how are you? You're in, you're in better shape than I am? I, I am, but clearly you're not making good decisions by, you know, relying <laughs> on me. Well, I can't rely on Eric because Eric's not here, so it's got to be you. We Although, have no, no, no. There we, is a far better alternative. We did bring in a ringer. Yes. Yes. Far brought, better alternative. <laughs> we brought in Tom. Tom, how are you tonight? You talk about not knowing what day it is. That's my entire life and has been since um, <laughs> we had our second baby uh, <laughs> a month and a half ago, whatever it's been, 10,000 years ago. <laughs> uh, we all have our issues, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and and how is the uh, the expanding family, Tom? Well, so we had a second daughter, which means in uh, real world military terms, we call that uh, surrounded and it calls for a retreat. (laughs) No, we're we're really good. Yeah. Big sister is doing well. Um, Her midichlorian count was very high. So we're happy with that. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) She's levitating objects at a fifth grade level already. So we're excellent. It's impressive. Nice. That's good. That's good. Okay. Has she figured out uh, that you know the the records are erased? Not yet. We're, I'm I'm holding on to that one. You know, some secrets have to have to be buried so that they can uh, come up later in life and cause lots of drama. I mean, you know, we're trying the the Skywalker model out here. Okay. So I fair enough. Sort of long term drama, preferably over what nine chapters? I guess that would be ideal. Yeah, yeah. that works. Yeah. <laughs> So like, uh, but you know, that's good. Well, like next week, you're just going to abandon her with some homeless family in the like Arizona desert. I do need drinking money. So, (laughs) you know, that's a thing. Wait, wait, I don't think Obi-Wan sold Luke. Did he, did did he get money for that? Is that what the whole series for the Kenobi series is going to be about? Well, since I have a daughter, I'm going with the Ray model where we just sell her off and I'll end up in a pauper's grave. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's okay. Awesome. I, I there you that. It was that. a desert planet there too, so it works. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we must get right to the news as there's there's so much of it to cover this week, right, Tim? Yeah. You uh, you you scraped the bottom of the barrel here to give us a little bit of news. But we have a fun that, discussion topic. You know what? I can't create the news, Lou. If the news isn't there, I can't bring it to you. Tim, have you so seen some I of the people on the news in Florida? They create their own news. It's not Star None Wars of, news, but they create their own news. <laughs> None of us is Florida man. Okay. And there is no Florida man news related to Star Wars, at least that I could find. Okay. And <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, if 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 people have an issue with it, then um, I have my own defense attorney. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. 
Okay, so our first news item has to do with uh, Disney CEO and uh, talking about the Mandalorian. So this came up on an earnings call last week, um, and we've heard uh, this did they delay before. It? No, like everything else. No, they're not delaying anything. They're they're staying true to form and coming out with this on track. Uh, but but everything heard, else is delayed. We heard this before, though, didn't we? Did we hear this about a month ago? They said that the Mandalorian was not going to be delayed, not going to be impacted by anything going on, because they had already filmed most of it. Yeah, before the pandemic happened, and you know the rest of the stuff they can do, you know, in their own home on their own computer, <laughs> so right, right. they can keep up with that stuff pretty well. So we're still on track to release uh, season two of Mandalorian in October, mm-hmm. which it's crazy. It seems like it's it's going to be here tomorrow because <laughs> it seems so long ago, but the pandemic seems to have both stretched out time and compacted time all at the same time. That it, makes sense it, to you. There's a strange impact to the space-time continuum, um, and actually tomorrow is October, uh, but we just don't know which version of October it's actually going to be in. Oh. Uh, but but it is it, it is coming up close. We don't know when in October. Um, right. I, th- I, I think I, it's going to be the version of October that the Mandalorian is released, but no one has any internet, and we're still <laughs> churning our own butter. So uh-huh. it will be out there, but we won't have a concept <laughs> of what the Mandalorian is. So, or have access to it. So, like like yeah. the coal fired yeah. internet they have in, uh, you know, very rural areas of, of Connecticut. Coal fired internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought no. that was West Virginia. I thought that's what Eric used. Oh, maybe it is. It could this be. Is diesel powered. <laughs> diesel powered internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. We're getting way off track here. Um, but yeah, yeah, so, so, you know, October and no delays. And I guess the question is, when are we going to start seeing Disney doing some, you know, heavy push for this because they've pushed everything else they've been marketing. Um, the last thing we've seen them pushing a lot has been, uh, uh, Mulan coming out in September. Right. Yes. So I would think this would be the next thing up then, right? I mean, that's September, October's next, uh, next big time frame they pass from there. I'm hoping within a couple of weeks we start seeing at least some ads for it. I think, you know, even though celebration is not happening, they have to have a trailer more yes. or less ready to go. That's going to drop. Oh, totally. Yeah. Cause that would so. have been next week, right? Yeah. I would think labor day weekend would be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Good time frame to drop that in somewhere right around when celebration would have been, they're not doing a virtual event, which is a little interesting, but I think they'll they'll be looking to take advantage of that time frame to remind everybody. Right. I, I'm surprised there hasn't been any any movement on a virtual event or at least a series of releases or a series of panels being streamed right. on um, YouTube or something. But it's nothing. been a mixed bag. There, there is a a fan run convention uh, digital yes. convention force fest that's going to be happening that weekend so that there is a gap filler in there of sorts but the virtual cons that have happened so far like i don't know if you guys watch any of the san diego comic con at home but it was kind of a mixed bag i mean it was mm. you know some of you the know what was actually a great panel from san diego comic con Tom, <laughs> our panel was clearly better. I mean, better than anything that would be in Hall H. You yeah, know. Of course, it, of it, course, it was fantastic. And I'll tell you, the topic was like it, it really, truly riveting. And I cannot believe that uh, you got through stuff with a straight face. 
<laughs> we talk, so for those that may not be aware, we put on uh, the blog that I write and podcast with on the side called The Legal Geeks. We put on a panel called um, Ultra Lawyer Kaiju Patrol. So basically it was legal issues in kaiju movies, Godzilla, Mothra, that sort of thing. Um, we've done Star Wars stuff in the past. This is the only panel that we had for for Comic Con, so no Star Wars content. But we just moved through. Like I think one of my issues was from the King of the Monsters movie from last year, analyzing whether it was a, a law of war violation or a war crime to unleash Godzilla on Boston. That big fight at the end mm-hmm. of the movie with Ghidorah. And I lamented the loss of Bill Belichick and 30% of the world's Dunkin' Donuts, that sort of thing. It was fun. But it was weird pre-recording it. There's no audience feedback. There's uh, you know, there's no Q&A that you feed off of at the end of the panel. We're certainly not all in the same room. Um, you know, I didn't have pants on. It was <laughs> very different than the normal con experience. Yeah. But I won't I didn't hate not having to go out to the West Coast for it. Yeah, um, no, I, I don't blame you. I don't yeah, blame you. It, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I watched that. I watched probably, I don't know, probably 10 other panels also. And uh, it, there was some really good stuff. And I, I'm I'm surprised and actually disappointed that we've not heard anything. And there apparently isn't going to be anything official for celebration. I mean, they planned the stuff uh, to happen physically. And right. you would think that they would at least want to put, you know, reap some of those benefits, uh, at least in, in fan relations. And well, they've been uh, a real long time to even announce that it wasn't going to happen, too. Yeah. Right? Compared to other cons that have canceled well ahead of when that was going to be. It, yeah. Lucasfilm and Reed Pop just they 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 do things very oddly, you know, when it when it comes to celebration and, you know, we've talked about how strange it is, at least certainly that I think about how Lucasfilm tends to announce a lot of things. Um, and it, there has to be something coming up to announce. I mean, mm. granted, yes, the pandemic may have uh, caused some delays for some of the stuff that they're going to come out with. But there's also other projects that it probably hasn't delayed or at least has had a minimal impact on. And you would think that they would want to say, hey, yeah, let's let's announce this unless maybe they're going to attach it to like whatever New York City Comic Con is going to do. I don't know. Well, and yeah, that's Repop also. I was so say, maybe yeah, Repop I mean, just said, hey, if you're only going to have like these five things, why don't we just push that into New York City Comic Con? Because, by the way, we run that. That's that's actually not a bad idea, because I can tell you from experience, I pitched um, a number of panels and all of them got sort of the same email back that was like, hey, thanks, but the con's not happening. So there wasn't there was mm-hmm. there was no solicitation for virtual panels. And mm. there's no for celebration I mean, they, or from New York for celebration. OK, so I think the the odds are that. They can easily do, you know, without anybody knowing a virtual celebrity style panel, you know, one of these marquee panels and roll that in easily to the New York or whatever. But Mm -hmm. there was no plan for a larger virtual convention. And at this point, it's it's too late to put one together that would include any fan made content. And yeah, right. Right. That's not to say they can't put out stuff officially 
um, you know, over the course of a weekend. But yeah, I, I think it's likely they'll roll it in to another event. And New York City Comic Con, as usual, is slated for the end of October. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have not announced any change other than actually doing the live convention. Now, I fully expect in the next probably two to three weeks, they are going to pull the plug on that. Yeah, I, I mean, cannot I don't see, imagine. Yeah, with that, everything going on, with everything the, ramping back up again, I don't see them doing it. But they also yeah. never announced tickets for sale. You know, mm. so yeah, that's kind of a big thing. Like they can hold it, but no one's going to come. <laughs> you know, they, they, yeah, I mean, they, they sell tickets usually in like April, and yeah. nothing was ever yeah. announced. Nothing was ever released. They always had that fan verified stuff where you got to be pre-verified yes. to be able to buy them. Yep. No emails ever came. Nothing ever came out about that. And I mean, I think we're all on the same page that they're not going to have a convention with 150,000 people getting together in Javits Center um, in October. But you know, say something about it. So I, I don't yeah. see them doing any, any celebration stuff with that. I don't see them because I mean, they didn't really embrace the photo first either. Uh, at least last year, they didn't have any presence at all um, from the New York uh, garrison in um, what, what's the empire garrison. Is that the yes. New York city yep. garrison? Um, Cause they had done a pretty good sized presence the year before at an offsite location that they had um, set up for them. But yeah, I don't see, I mean, I mean, read pop, I've never really had problems with Reed Pop, but it seems like you got to just you got to tell something what's going on. You got to at least give us some advance notice. You can't just say, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, that little con we were going to have in October, we're not going to have it. Like next week, it's not going to happen." I mean, it just seems very strange not to have any kind of planning for this. And seeing what San Diego has done, seeing what other conventions have done, why aren't they planning for that? I mean, uh, even even Hallmark. So Hallmark released their San Diego Comic Con stuff at the on their site, I think it was during the weekend that they did the Comic Con at home. And those exclusives, they do half and half San Diego and New York. Yeah. They're doing the other half this weekend at some other convention, um, some of their virtual convention. And no talk about San Di- or, um, New York of when they're going to mm-hmm. release the half that we're supposed to be for New York. And right. they've just said, yeah, something, we'll do something for the Star Wars celebration stuff too at some point because they had those pre made. Sure. So again, nobody's given any information out to any of the vendors either. It sounds like so. I, I don't know. I'm just stunned. <laughs> well, and and that's a bummer too because there's. I I wish I was I was talking to someone recently. I wish that they would at least do something for the vendors, especially the like the smaller like independent vendors um, and artists and that kind of stuff because yeah. they certainly mm-hmm. bought and produced a bunch of stock of of their materials and art and wares and all that kind of stuff in preparation for this and now they're stuck sitting with it and 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 I, and I know this is basically the same case for the vendors of every convention out there mm-hmm. but you would think that you know <laughs> Lucasfilm and Repop would really want to say hey look we're going to do a uh you know virtual vendor hall virtual art show whatever and suck it up and you know, spends the, the, the time and the funds for someone to get something up on a website, even if it's just simply, you know, creating virtual booths and linking to people's Etsy sites or something mm, like that's what that. San Diego did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, 
uh, I mean, I, I, but we haven't heard anything at all from Lucasfilm and they usually have like such a great relationship with their artists and with a lot of their vendors. And especially considering that the artists have to get everything licensed and all that stuff that they would go that extra bit. I, I really, I I'm, I'm going to be real disappointed if they don't do anything with that real disappointed in them. Yeah. Cause even you talk about the art, the, and I don't have any inside information on this, but I know from reading through the application for the, like the official prints. So there's always that little art area and they've mm-hmm. got sort of 50 or so artists that have mm-hmm. been selected. That's a long competition. They, I mean, that, that was decided. I, and I don't know if they put the brakes on it, but there were deadlines back in February, March, and April sure. for those folks to meet, to ensure that a, they would, you know, have their portfolio reviewed and selected in time, mm-hmm. but B would have enough time to produce the art, get it approved and then get it printed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows if they hit the brakes on it, but you know, some of those artists were working hard and, and they depend on that sort of income. Mm. And of course, anything that's printed is going to say, you know, celebration Anaheim 2020. All right. So <laughs> they, yeah. they, they don't get bought that it's expense not- to do that. And yeah. I, I mean, granted they're going to sell them the next time around. I mean, those, they, the artists continue selling those prints. I mean, the oh, a, yeah. a print that I bought mm-hmm. in um, Orlando was from celebration Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, those things still do sell, but of course it's not necessarily hot off the presses and they may very well be competing you know, you basically have brand new stuff. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, um, oh, what, what, what do they call, um, like when you buy a vehicle and it's, it's last year's model, but it's still new, a leftover. Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's basically a leftover. It they were never sold and they're going to be competing with mm. the new prints that were juried and approved for the next celebration. And that's, it's kind of nuts. It's well, kind of, I mean, I, I really feel for these artists and vendors. Yeah. It, it hurts them quite a bit as revenue wise. The other thing it does give is people that wouldn't be at the con a better chance of getting one of these prints too. Cause a lot of times yeah. the ones for a convention are sold out um, mm-hmm. because people are there buying them. And, you know, just like we saw with the Hallmark stuff that they opened up to the entire world basically, and you know they sold out of the the probe droid hallmark ornament in like two minutes, yeah. Um, which they wouldn't have sold out in two minutes at the con. They would have had some for every day of the, of the, of the con. They would have had you know so many per day, and it'd been a couple hours before they sold out each day. But mm-hmm. um, because I know like I bought some some prints from um, Joe Caroni. He did a series of prints highlighting the the main cast from A New Hope. Um, kind of a timeline of them and different looks of them over the years. Um, and he did one per year and I was able to get him at the convention in, in Connecticut here in October and August when he came through after I think they were Denver con exclusives. And uh, if he had mm-hmm. some left, I was able to grab one. And if they weren't available, I was out of luck, but luckily yep. I got them all. But yeah, I mean, it, bottom line is it, it's tough for these artists to maintain their revenue stream without these cons. Um, a lot of them doing some special cons themselves. Like they, you know, uh, one of the vendors I've seen at conventions, she did a, a couch con. Her husband did couch con um, mm-hmm. back when this first started back in March, and they sold a lot of stuff online and had a big thing about it. And um, a lot of them have gone to Twitch to show how they're doing some of the artwork and, and getting some more followers that way and hopefully selling some more art, but it, it's tough for them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, well, we started that discussion about the Mandalorian and speaking of the Mandalorian. Um, well, I can't say wait, Tim, was that good? Yeah. 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 It's kind of crappy, but we'll, we'll go. Okay, with come that. on, come on. <laughs> Had a rough week. Jeez. Um, so the, the Mandalorian is, uh, popular among Star Wars fans and among everybody on, on Disney plus actually. So this is, uh, 55 more times, sorry, 55 times more popular than any other streaming. show on its release, uh, this is from Hollywood reporter. Tim, is this, is this verified information? Can you, can you confirm this? Yeah, so this, uh, like I said, this came from Hollywood Reporter, um, and these are from uh, numbers that came from, uh, let's see, so Paraanalytics uh, reports that interest in The Mandalorian made it one of the most anticipated streaming shows during a new streamer's launch week. So basically, they're, they're the first week of, uh, of any new oh, streaming a new show. new streaming service, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this made The Mandalorian the distant winner. Um, with the Mandalorian managing to outrank the competition by 55 times more than the average series during their respective launch weeks. That's pretty freaking incredible. And fun fact, I, my repeat viewings were responsible for 30% of that. <laughs> <laughs> and awesome. the thing is, I'll tell you, it still holds up. I mean, don't, really if you does. just watched it once and like, Oh, Hey, you know, it was really good. Loved it. Gee, watch it again. Oh yeah. The episodes are still fantastic. I've gone back and I've watched the whole thing over, I think maybe twice more. And then there are certain episodes that I've watched several times again. And, um, it, it's really, I mean, and truly, I mean, we, the hell we, we talked about this last, uh, last episode, just the, um, uh, the, 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 the first episode, you know, where, where, mm -hmm. I mean, dude gets cut in half by the door. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I know it's slightly sick and demented, but I like it a little bit, but it was a good scene. <laughs> yeah. I oh, still cool. like it. I, I just finished a rewatch two, three weeks ago. And I like the fact that we're in this little bubble period right now where there isn't a ton of background information on anything you're watching. So there's still some mystery to it. Like Pablo Hidalgo's visual guide hasn't come out. So we don't have mm -hmm. every little nugget of detail yeah. and granularity to what you're seeing on the screen. And so there's, you're still curious, you know, we, mm -hmm. we have no idea what certain stuff is. How did they get that ATST uh, there on Sorgan? Uh, but yeah. so much, we did get a lot of like behind the scenes reveals from the uh, Disney gallery series, oh, yeah. which was fantastic. And so it was so cool that we watched the Mandalorian first and then we watched that. And then now you have like a completely new appreciation for stuff. And, and, and granted, they don't get into a lot of like the, the in universe kind of stuff, like you were saying, Tom, but in terms of these as productions, you really do get an awesome amount of, of info out of that. And it's so cool to go back and watch it. Like, Oh yeah. I remember when they talked about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I am planning another rewatch of this probably in September. So I'm kind of fresh for the new season, but uh, I've seen it twice completely through right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, to me, right. That it holds up it, it, you start seeing new things the second time through that you're not, you know, you didn't pay attention to the first time. So there's so much to see. Now you're kind of focusing in on what you really want to look for. Um, the only, I tell you, the only, the only one episode I'm not real, I don't know, um, 
that I wasn't real thrilled with was the uh, the prison barge ship breakout scene. Um, oh, I love that episode. Did you? I, didn't I think, love it. I didn't care for that episode all that much. Uh, the only it good part was, was, the, was the was the end where the X wings take out the uh, <laughs> take out the, the um, yeah the space yeah, station there. Yeah. yeah, old Trepper Wolf. The 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 episode the the story of it was interesting in terms of alluding to a lot of background mm. for Din, but it wasn't. Um, it seems, you know, it's like you're walking down a path and then you like take this little deviation from the path before you go back on the path. Like that's what that episode felt like. Cause yeah, it was just, and that's it why was it was truly a side trip. Yeah. It, that's why it kind of took me out of the storyline progression and look, Oh, let's go look and look at this and what his life was like before, even though it was Captain yeah. current, it was still a throwback for him. I don't yep. think that's the last we'll see of Ranzar, the, the, the guy that hired him for the mission. They've got too much history there. I think that's yeah. going to set some stuff up later mm-hmm. in the series. But I love the the just the peek into the larger universe that it gave you because the, there's that moment where uh, Mando figures out what the actual mission is, that they're going after a, a prison ship. And, like, you haven't heard the, the words New Republic mentioned on screen all that much. But like he has this immediate reaction, like I'm not looking for that kind of heat. And like all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, like things have changed in the galaxy. The last time we heard about the rebels or whatever, they're, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, still scrappy underdogs. Now they're in charge and people are worried about messing with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that ties right into that. uh, The the scene with the guard, Davin, Mm. it's awesome that it's played by the the voice actor that did Anakin in the Clone Wars. But they get, they all get freaked out about the tracker beacon and how quickly the new Republican respond and, and the sort of threat that that poses. Mm-hmm. I just like those ideas. And I, I did like the peek into his own background. I like I ended that episode like. Where's part two or part three? I want to know. <laughs> OK. Well, hey, something for everybody, right? Yeah, but that's yeah, what the great thing about the series. I'm sure I could, you know, there's an episode of or a part of an episode that I, you know, didn't like as much that uh, that other folks were really in love with. So that's the beauty of the series. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, do either one of you have a uh, PlayStation with uh, VR? Uh, I might, considering this next announcement with Vader <laughs> Immortal coming. So, so you don't have one now, but you might have one soon. You're saying check back with me on, what is it? August 25th, August 25th. Yeah. <laughs> so Vader Immortal, um, a VR release for PlayStation, um, and, and a price, which I was kind of surprised about. They said 30 bucks in here. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, so Vader Immortal Star Wars VR series finally has a release date for PlayStation VR, August 25th. Um, all three episodes will be available on the same day for a combined price of 30 bucks. Up to this point, it's only been on Oculus, I think. I think so. Yes. Have either yep. of you played it? No, I, I have not. not. I've heard uh, it's very, very good. I was tempted to wait in line at Celebration Chicago, but never did. Yeah. The story is fascinating. It sort of gives a little bit of background and history about how Mustafar became this lava covered destroyed planet. So that fascinates me. Mm, okay. Mm. But yeah, I might be, I was already on the fence for VR and leaning heavily towards getting it because of squadrons, but this might push me over the edge. Mm. I know, I'm, I'm just trying to think back of, do I want to get it now or do I want to wait and get the new PS system when it comes out and VR for that one? 
because I don't have to buy it again at that point if I buy it now. And I don't think my I don't think my PS can uh, can handle VR. I think it's only the newer versions of uh, the current system. Yeah, and it's, and it's the current the and then gen. the yeah, it's the, the the current one and the next gen one that's coming out. Um, and I'm still on the fence. I will be getting a next gen system. I just don't know if it's going to be PlayStation or Xbox. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's good stuff coming. Yeah. I, so I, I have to, I haven't done any research on this. I've been hesitant to get it to move. I, I still have a PS4, but PS5 comes out soon. I assume they're not doing any massive upgrade or overhaul in the VR system. The last thing that I want to do is go buy this PSVR and then have a brand new version come out in November or December. That's but, what I'm worried. I'm worried that the, the system you buy for the current version of the PS will not be compatible with the next version of the PS. I'm just kind of worried about that. I mean, why would they make yeah. the same one? You know, you, you think they would, but you know, yeah, why wouldn't they? They're going to oh, sell, sell it again. Sure. We'll sell it again. I say I'm worried about like the usefulness and spending money. And I fully recognize that I have, a wall of stuff behind me <laughs> that I don't have to mess with that cost that all cost money. And at least I would get some, you know, I'd play Vader immortal. I'd play squadrons when that comes out in, mm-hmm. what is that? October. So yeah, you know, we'll see. Maybe I look around for at a yard sailor on Craigslist for somebody dumping off their VR system. <laughs> yard well, the, the thing is, is that the, the PS five is uh, like really jacked up to mm-hmm. be, even better with VR than the PlayStation VR is. Um, so that's, that's one of the intents of it. I mean, it's, it's supposed to, I mean, right, the, but the, the thing is basically the size of a, of a computer, but the um, PS five isn't no going to have the, VR standard, right? You got to buy that separately. Uh, I think, I right. I, I mean, maybe the, um, in terms of like the, the controllers and, and, you know, the, the haptic kind of things, yeah, that kind of same thing you have bike. for the current yeah. system because I yeah. uh, my PS4 I don't think can take it. It's only the the newer versions of the PS4. Um, right, right. I got the Battlefront just that came out with Vader on the the face of it and stuff, but mine's the first gen PS4, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so I might as well wait till version five. Yeah. Well, you play it on you you play it on your system, and Vader will look like a Minecraft char- character. It's all blocky. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the way it's supposed to look, guys? I don't know. It's kind of a cool. Retro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, now, Tim, this last story makes me sad, but it should make you happy. Yeah. How so? Well, so we're talking about the uh, the new Lego Star Wars AT-AT. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing sold out in hours, and it is now available um, to to back order. Oh. So it's it's they actually like stopped all sales of it, all transactions, and they then uh, they basically went to sold out, and then they've switched it to to back order. So they are taking orders. Um, I don't think it says here how long it's going to take them to process it, but, uh, I mean, this is a cool set, you know, it's interesting. I don't really have any, uh, vehicles, if you will, all mm-hmm. of my builds are ships. Um, but this is a pretty cool set. Uh, it looks I, like I, an improved model from the last yeah. that they had. Yeah. There's been, I think this is maybe the, 
third ATAT that they've done, maybe the fourth. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty good. It is pretty good. Now, I mean, like previous ones, it does the, the side opens up. And so you see like jump seats in there and such, uh, for, uh, for stormtroopers and, and, and all that. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool build. Um, I mean, I don't know that I'll get it. Mm-hmm. I probably won't, but yeah, it's, uh, but, but for those who like it, I mean, it is an iconic piece. And so it, it's, it's going to be back. Um, I, I would say that if you like, if someone wants to buy this as a Christmas gift, I would get on that back order list now. Yeah, probably. Yep. I thought you were going to say, if somebody wants to get this as a Christmas gift for me, I would accept it. <laughs> well, that is also so, a true statement. I wouldn't turn you down. <laughs> so on the U S Lego site, it does show us coming soon. Mm, okay. Uh, I know the article you linked to said UK and um, was the other UK and Europe. So I guess, yeah. Yeah. They may have, maybe they released it in Europe before they did in the U S it says coming soon on September 1st, 2020. Mm, okay. So it does look cool. It's got what? Uh, five minifigs, no, six minifigs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, general veers there. Speeder bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm, kind of guessing is that they might have had their u.s release um for celebration that's true considering it is it's a 40th anniversary piece from uh for empire strikes back Mm -hmm. and if they're saying september 1st it may have been one of those things that hey we're gonna you know have five thousand of them at celebration to sell and then after celebration yeah then after that then they'll be available publicly they did i don't know if it was a leak that was supposed to get out because i don't see it on here but there were images of a set a a bespin dual set that looked like one of those mini builds Mm. i assumed about that that, uh last week yeah i assume that was the celebration exclusive that will never be well i imagine i mean those usually have exclusive markings on the packaging though so if True. they did have something, they're going to have to release that somehow as an exclusive or at least, I don't know. Yeah. Because they're not going to scrap but, the packaging and redo them. No. Right. But yeah, I, I that Bespin dual set is, uh, it's mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, that's that's just such an iconic scene. And that's a really neat uh, little build there. I, I, I like that one a lot. I'm so informed to expand that helmet line they came out with last year or this year. Only this year. Oh, like the TIE they, Fighter and Stormtrooper? Yeah, the TIE Trooper. Fighter, the Stormtrooper, and the Boba Fett helmet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a fun build. I bought the Boba Fett one. It's right here next to me in a computer. It's it's awesome, but I really want some more of those helmets. They look pretty cool. And it wasn't big, blue, right? Trooper. It's like 300 pieces or something? Uh, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I don't know how many pieces it was, but it wasn't, you know, it's only, you know, it's not the size of my head, so it's... That's <laughs> a nice little... Yeah, yeah. that's a nice... Yeah. That's a good size. It's just a desperate nice it's, it's pretty good display. But it was, uh, I don't know, six, seven bags, something like that, maybe? Mm-hmm. Nice. So, a lot of pieces inside. It's solid. It's not just a hollow helmet. It's solid. <laughs> stuff in all the way inside. Um, let's see. Uh, so, so a discussion point, Tim. Tim, you found this yeah. article, and you, you thought this would be a good thing to discuss to the three of us. And mm-hmm. we immediately looked at the title and thought, yeah. But and then once you issues. look past the title, you're like, <laughs> the title no. doesn't seem to jive with the content. So, so this is uh, from this is Screen from, oh, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. This is from Screen Rant. And uh, the article, uh, this is just something that came out last week. 
this is the the author's opinion of the article, uh, Jonathan Sim, the 10 best space battles uh, from Star Wars ranked. Now, I will say that the first few right off this list are not space battles, uh, or at least largely are not space battles. Well, I mean, they're really mostly known for being um, uh, yeah. terrestrial. I mean, I mean I'll give know. them this. They're space in the fact that they're not Earth-based battles. <laughs> Right there. That's yeah. all of Star Wars, Lou. I know. I'm just I'm just trying to give the guys Every some credit here. freaking moment of Star Wars <laughs> does not take place on Earth. I know. So they're all space battles. <laughs> so if we go through this, um, they rank these from 10 to 1, right? So the 10th best battle is the Battle of Geonosis. No space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No there were ships this... that attempted to make it into space and then didn't. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Those the big ships round that came suckers. from space. So I, I think if we can, uh, we, we, we acknowledge that so many of these did not take place in space or, or, or much of it didn't take place in space, but at least we can talk about these as, as battles. Um, yeah. and so what are, what are your opinions on these? Um, would you rank it lower? Would you rank it higher? What did you like about it? What's most memorable? Uh, I don't know what, okay. what, what, what kind of, con- I mean, this is our discussion piece, so it's, it's yeah, free yeah. form. We can do whatever we want. Okay. So, so battle genosis, um, what do we think of this battle in general? The, I'm still tripped up on the fact that the, you know, I'm sure this guy loves star Wars very much, but this whole article just like fumbles the ball right out of the gate and just really perturbs me. I've got my ranking of eight, space the eight big space battles that are seen throughout the uh the movies that we have but you know we can talk about all the i love the battle of geonosis if we're just going off of his list it doesn't really fit his thesis here um (laughs) but i think it's far better than number 10 um you know where else do you get to see 212 jedi in all-out combat uh, yeah. against battle droids. I mean, that scene where they mm-hmm. charge into battle there at the, on the arena floor is just amazing. And th- I'm sorry, but nothing for me will beat um, the scene of the uh, Republic gunship sweeping into battle with Yoda directing fire. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. yeah. It's sweeping into that arena, just obliterating droids. Count Dooku surprised to see this, uh, this army sweep in maybe feigning surprise. Um, just amazing. And then, you know, the Jedi just immediately losing their heads and taking control of this army and, and, uh, setting in motion, the emperor's plans. Who, who, who lost their head, Tom? He said the Jedi. So it it was Jedi collectively (laughs) so much, but there was one person in particular who did lose their head, Tom. Right. You know, if we want to be literal about it, <laughs> that's well, the moment where Django found that he was not a true Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> Any true Mandalorian would would uh, have have approached that battle with Mace Windu a little differently, I think. Probably, yeah. But you know, you're right though. That first scene where we're looking at the you know the dire consequences of our of our heroes, you know, in the field there, and all of a sudden lightsabers just igniting all over the place. You're like, Oh, oh that's cool. You know, that, that was, so a, that was a great scene to see. Yeah. 
Yeah. When, when the camera just kind of pans across the arena and you see that like the Jedi have basically infiltrated and snuck into all these little pockets of the entire arena. And yeah, Lou, like you said, just all of a sudden, all these lightsabers light up, which um, I'm wondering how they snuck in really because the rest of the, um, what's that Tim? I'm sorry. See some cheesy poses by some of the actors when they ignite their lightsabers. <laughs> hey, they all had their own move, right? But yeah. I mean, how'd they sneak in there? Because the rest of the audience was all bugs. Did they not notice that, you know, hey, you don't have any wings. <laughs> Who's this guy without wings over here? Jedi mind a lot trip. Of, yeah, a lot oh. of Jedi mind tricks okay. going around. Yeah. Okay. Wholesale. <laughs> <laughs> They're okay. like, oh, you know, just, just ignore the new cleaning droid. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that, that was really awesome. Cause that's the first time we ever saw more than like a handful of Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. At least so in that, combat, was, yeah. that was really fantastic. Like that blew open the door on, holy crap, there's a lot of Jedi out there. Um, and then, yeah, I made, uh, uh, Sam Jackson decapitating anyone is always a good time. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, regardless of, of who he plays. And I have to say, you know, my least favorite parts were the, uh, Oh, this is such a drag. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, like, I I'm okay with some of the kind of silly, cheesy humor, no. but in the middle of that battle, it just like sucks you right no, out of there, it. There's, You're like, there, there's no place for that. Yeah. No place for that at all. Yeah. <laughs> but it's balanced by the amazing moment when he comes out firing and says, die Jedi dogs. <laughs> <That actually laughs> only for, only for Kit Fisto to knock him over and smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even like that. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I, I like that part. Uh, okay. The next one we have here, number nine, is the Battle of Naboo. Episode one, best prequel. Yep. I mean, I, I like this battle because this was the first time we saw, the first thing we saw from this battle was in the trailer where you saw that. <laughs> hover tank kind of coming across that crest of that hill. And you're like, yeah. Oh man, I can't wait for this movie. Um, so yeah, to me, this battle has a lot of funness to it because of that and the tanks and just, you know, how it, how it was set up the execution mm -hmm. of it though. Uh, you know, you didn't like the, uh, C3PO, um, uh, it's such a drag type thing. I, Don't we had Jar Jar. We had Jar Jar here, Tim. Damn it, <laughs> Tim, come on. You knew I was going there. How do I drop you from the call? <laughs> <laughs> this battle was just so bad because of Jar Jar. Yeah. I don't know. I like the. He wins the, because he's clumsy. I mean, come on. I like the fact he 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 gets promoted out of nowhere to to general, and he's basically put under the watchful eye of another Gungan captain Tarples, and the goal is to just you know, don't mess things up. And he's just <laughs> right. being Jar Jar there. I don't know. I remember seeing it as a kid and I thought it was hilarious him messing around and stuff, but this is the only battle other than in the battle of Endor in return of the Jedi, uh, the battle of Scarif in rogue one. Uh, you can kind of count Exegol in there and maybe you can count Starkiller base in there that switches so rapidly uh, between ground and space battle sequences mm -hmm. and this you watch this again in this battle scene just and this one I, I i count the lightsaber battle as sort of a third element in there mm, but yeah, this yeah. movie switches mm. seamlessly between mm -hmm. them i mean that last 
act of the movie really, really clips along. And and I guess mm-hmm. if you want to consider um, Padme's assault on Thede Palace as even a, a fourth arm of it, I mean, mm-hmm. it really, really uh, punches through a lot of content there. And you don't get that in too many other Star Wars movies. I mean, you know, the Battle of Hoth is all on the ground, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and so from that aspect, I remember distinctly and will never forget watching this in theaters as a kid and just be like, my head was snapping back and forth, trying to keep up with everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the CGI at some points is a little dated, but I think it still masters that sort of switching back and forth almost as much as return of the Jedi does. Yeah. They they really do. Um, it, it, it's a very multifaceted battle and that does keep it like really, really liquid and dynamic because they, they do cut back and forth. And, and, and it's great from a, a cinematography perspective that, you know, they're basically getting you the highlights of each of the battles. And, and that's, that's really awesome how they do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the main battle, the, the one that is uh, kind of where, where you said, Lou, with uh, the the tank coming up over the crest of the hill where all the Gungans are and such. I love kind of that, that um, how they're positioning, you know, like organic versus mechanical. Uh, you know, I, I, I like that stuff. I like the, all right, for the things that, the droid army has the Gungans have something that can counter it, mm-hmm. but it has this limitations. And then also the reverse is true. And, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And it's, it's how much we saw of the droid army going through, uh, this entire movie was like really cool. And then this was just, I mean, this was, this was the crescendo. I mean, this was mm-hmm. the big thing and, and, and it was awesome. I, I, I loved it. And yeah, you know, folks know that a number of years ago, I really, I came to terms with Jar Jar and I appreciate Jar Jar and everything that, you know, general Jar Jar did in, in this uh, part of the film was, was incredibly appropriate and brave and uh Tim, yeah it, it's okay you're allowed to be wrong it, it's totally okay <laughs> with me on that i mean it's I just, all right you know, it's all right i, I mean it, the the thing that makes this battle maybe not <clears throat> i should make battle not rank as high for me is is the ground battle because you had on one side the gungans who with jar jar being himself just doesn't set well with me but also you had the the droids that are bumbling fools themselves i mean you know, B1 battle droids are not known for their cunning and their you know, expertise. And yet they, they made some of the sequences appear to look like it's like, Oh my God, these guys are going to be amazing. And, you know, when you had those, those troop transports open the front and the whole thing slides out and you had the, mm-hmm. the racks of droids just come out and you're like, that's oh so God, cool. That's so cool. Yeah. But they're, they're just, they're inept. They, they don't, you know, <laughs> they, 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 they don't act like you would think a droid should act in battle. There shouldn't be yeah, this yeah. slapstick discussion between two droids. Um, it just it doesn't work for me. It, it hasn't worked in any of the prequels for me. But I like the idea that this is this isn't the droid army isn't like a uh, you know some at this point especially some battle hardened uh, entity that's being run by 
a government and a professional military. This is basically like if Nike had its own army. And like from when I look at uh-huh. it from that aspect, yeah, they jack it up. They don't make shoes all that well all the time. And so the idea that like the Trade Federation, this corporate entity that's out for profits, is going to have um, you know, they have a lot of it. They've clearly spent a lot of money, but I like to to think that they kind of, you know, like let's call, cut costs where we can. Like let's not get too crazy <laughs> with the programming, okay? You yeah, know, okay. We, we don't need, yeah. uh, you know, we don't need some, uh, you know, AI walking around. We just need a, a droid that can shoot a blaster. And from that aspect, they got their money's worth. I suppose. And, and their approach was like, let's just throw a lot of them. At the enemy, and that should make up for any kind of uh, it's the lack Tie of fighter approach, right? You know, let's make them yeah. make a cheap fighter and just throw it against them in quantity, right? It's a massive droid humanity. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So from that aspect, I'm like, yeah, and then you know they get their just desserts at the end. Sure. Sure. Okay. What do we have next, Tim? Uh, we have the Battle of Star Killer Base. Okay, wow, this is another that silence pretty much says everything. Multi-part <laughs> uh, battle, yeah, right? This is a, a universal problem I have with this article. The article isn't so much an analysis for like the, the author's thoughts about what makes one battle different from another or mm-hmm. pros and cons. It's like, here's a summary in case you haven't seen Star Wars. And then here's <laughs> yeah. like a thought on it. It's a memorable battle. Oh, like, okay, because of what? <laughs> Yeah. Mm. You know, I don't know. I have a very big if I'm ranking and I, you know, I'll save this all. But the Battle of Starkiller Base to me is the worst of the eight pure space battles uh, Mm. with Exegol coming in at number seven. I just I'll tell you, I'll be blunt about it. I like I like The Force Awakens and I like Rise of Skywalker. Great Star Wars movies. Great fun. I don't think J.J. Abrams understands how to film a space battle. Mm. it's the the okay. two it, it's a little confusing to watch at times you don't get a good sense of exactly what's going on you go back and you watch something like the battle of yavin or even uh, a, a more recent comparison the battle of scarif you can follow what's going on there are tangible storylines happening within mm. the battle even in quick cuts um they're more exciting uh, scenes. You, you're just you're better able to get a sense of the chaos. Even mm-hmm, I, yeah. the, the Battle of Endor in Return of the Jedi is like a masterwork because you're following it through the eyes of Wedge and Lando primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you understand what's happening. Mm-hmm, you you yeah. don't have to see every single little thing. But between their commentary on the battle and Luke and the Emperor's perspective from the Death Star – you know what's happening in that battle, um, all the the major strokes, and you're able to follow things. The Starkiller base and Exegol are kind of a mess, in my opinion, quite frankly. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, J.J. Abrams kind of hit the point where he was like, well, just throw a lot of spaceships on the screen and, like, make them talk in pilot banter, and then that'll be enough. And I think the, the limiting it to Poe's point of view, which is what they kind of do, mm-hmm. really hamstrung both of those battles. Well, and and it's interesting. I bring it back to J.J. Abrams. Um, I, like when you look at the the Star Trek movies that he did, his space battles were beautiful. However, not that much different from what he did with Star Wars films, because uh, basically they were all they were Enterprise focused. Mm-hmm. 
he never looked at, you know, strategy, big picture kind of stuff. He never, you know, really pulled back. So you could see a lot of what was going on. It was all, I mean, granted, obviously your main characters were on the enterprise. Yeah. And Star Trek, you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, and I think that he leaned on that, particularly in the force awakens. Um, Exegol was very different because they didn't really the, 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 the space combat of Exegol wasn't even really highlighted. No. It was there, it existed. And it was just, it's like someone just like took a bucket of paint and threw it on a canvas and walked away and said, Hey, there it is. Uh, you know, he, he didn't do anything really creative with it. Um, with this one, with, um, this particular battle, the battle of Starkiller base. And it's kind of funny because the, the, the picture that they highlight for this is, um, that, uh, the, the, the one-on-one battle, if you will, between, um, between Ray and Kylo and, and also, you know, Finn was involved in this too. That was a fantastic fight. I really thoroughly enjoyed Mm -hmm. that lightsaber duel, everything that was going on. The, the environment of it was fantastic because you had the ash falling, um, and snow, uh, and you know, you had all these kind of dead and dying trees and then you mm-hmm. eventually had the, the, the fissure in the, uh, in, in, in the ground and all that stuff. And it was, this was like where you really obviously saw, um, Ray come into her own with the force and it was, and it was fantastic. It was, it mm-hmm. was great. And you saw the desperation of Kylo Ren. So it was in terms of a, of a story arc, that was great. But in terms of a full on battle, eh, eh. Yeah. I, I'm going to agree with both of you guys because I mean, like Tom was saying, you didn't really get a good sense of what was going on in the space battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still don't think I have a good grasp of what, you know, if I had to recount that movie from memory, what was taking place in the space battle, what the objectives were, how they, how they did or didn't make their objectives and what the, what the overall outcome was. It just, it, it was a mess. Um, Poe was trying to blow stuff up. Right. But they were, you know, what were they trying to blow up? How was that impact? You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, Hey, we knew what happened in the death star. I mean, we've seen it a million times now, but you know, we knew what the objective was to destroy the base. Right. Mm-hmm. Here yeah. uh, there was what, there was a accumulator. They were trying to destroy or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. Maybe. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's that kind of thing where, you know, it, it, it didn't stick with you because it wasn't that, it didn't seem all that important. Unlike in, you know, the attack on the Death Star on the New Hope, we knew what the objective was. It was really important and it just didn't seem like it fell that way to me here in this one. But also mm-hmm. because that ground battle between Ray and Kylo was such a good battle, I didn't even care about the space battle as much. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. oh yeah, I just let's get back to the ground stuff because that's really cool. You know, well, you make a really good point because if look at look at the Battle of Yavin, uh the I'll, I'll we'll, we'll throw a ground battle in there. The Battle of Hoth, uh, the Battle of Endor in space and on ground, mm-hmm. and the Battle of Scarif. Mm-hmm. What unifies those four battles in terms of the ease by which you can watch them as an audience member? There's a definable target. You as the audience mm-hmm. member, whether in a briefing room or amongst some of the characters, you know exactly what the characters are going after. The the Death Star has a trench that they have to run down and hit that exhaust port, right? Mm-hmm. The Battle of yeah. Hawk, the Empire is going after the shield generator. 
uh, Endor shield generator in on the ground, and then they have to uh, fly into the superstructure and knock out the core. Uh, and and Scarif obviously is the shield gate. Those are all like important focal points. Mm-hmm. You don't have either of those in in uh, the Force Awakens or Rise of Skywalker, and it suffers from that. They attempted to do it in the Force uh, in the Force Awakens. You, they talk about this os- oscillator. But the battle switches midway through. I mean, they're they're attacking a, a, sort of an undefined point on the ground, and then they switch and make a trench run toward right. the end. Okay. That's yeah, sort of yeah. Yep. Put together, and and Poe kind of makes it on his his first pass through. And there's a little bit of tension that's drawn in there because you you hear some of the resistance ground techs talking about how many X-wings they've lost and whatnot, and and Han making the comment, you know, they're not doing too well, something like that. Uh, but it, it switches you as the audience member, you're confused as to how they're going about this. Same with, uh, rise of Skywalker is a little bit better because they have this, uh, this tower that they're going after, but you've got a hundred thousand star destroyers in the air. Yeah, There's just too much going on. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, there's no focal point. Um, it's not like in rogue one. I mean, they could have done it like rogue one where they're focused on really, really supporting, uh, the, the lucky land of the fortitude that, uh, Rose and, and Finn and everybody else is on, but, and they kind of do that, but the rest of it's kind of a, an unfocused mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the next one on here, Tom, you, you had, had mentioned this, uh, in kind of the lineup you, you were giving this to me is potentially my number one. Uh, and that's the battle of Scarif. Out of Rogue One, I gotta hmm. say, and and you know, I seven I haven't timed, here. yeah, it's it's seven ranked number seven on this list. <laughs> I haven't timed them, but I actually have to say, Battle of Scarif might actually be the longest out of all the Star Wars films. Um, this is another one that is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lot of views from uh, different parts of the ground battle. And then you have this phenomenal space battle at the shield gate. And it really extends right to the end where you think, oh, hey, all right. Yes, the planet got blown up, but our heroes in space are going to get away. And oh, no, as soon as they start to go into hyperspace, they slam into a freaking Star Destroyer. And then Vader goes after them. and and, And that whole battle basically gets finished by Vader slaughtering gazillions of people. Uh, yeah, the end, it, I don't consider fantastic. that part of the battle, but yeah, that end sequence is fantastic. But, yeah, it really is. And I love the, like the whole setup of this of, you know, let's make 10 men feel like a hundred and the mm-hmm. whole setup with, okay, we're yeah. going to slink around and we're going to set explosives and all that stuff. It and felt like an then, old world war two. Oh, it, what, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it was great. And one of the things that was great about this, and this was more maybe Vietnam era type stuff, but you had ships get through the shield gate before they could get it sealed. And mm. now you had close air support of X-Wings attacking, you know, oh, yeah. AT-ATs yeah. on the ground, which was just fantastic because we saw, you know, the snow speeders couldn't do much with them. They had to strip yeah. them, but having X-Wings come in flying close air support, I thought was fantastic. And I, I just oh, yeah. loved watching that. And one of my U-wings favorites were scenes. basically like drop ships for troops. They're like flying in and, and you know, troops are getting off of there as quick as they can while the X-Wings are, are flying over. Oh, it was just fantastic. And and what? the amount of like weapons and 
and like different types of weapons and types of vehicles and that kind of stuff. Like a lot of things were terrifically reimagined. I mean, obviously we saw a different version of an ATAT, but we also, we just, we had some different things there and it was really awesome. Yeah. I, one of my absolute favorite scenes, Lou, you mentioned close air support and whatnot. The moment where Bayes fires that rocket at the cockpit of the uh, armored transport that's about to blow him to smithereens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it knocks the head over and then oh, it's lining yeah. up its shot. And then all of a sudden proton torpedoes hit it. Yeah. And then you get the X wings and U wing that co- sort of peel off uh, back up off the ground. Just mm-hmm. beautiful. It's like, I could just yeah. get it in my head. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go watch it. I'll, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah. Scarif is my number two only because, um, I give nostalgia credit and it being the, the OG uh, to the Battle of Yavin out of A New Hope. That's mm. that that just gets anointed as number one. But Scarif sure. is so sure. damn good. I, I think one of the things that so many of us find so appealing about the AT-ATs is that they are. They're almost organic to us. Like, you know, tanks are really cool, but like we can't make it analogous to something. The mm. ATATs are, are they're quadrupeds. And so we can make that analogous to any type of, of all sorts of different types of animals. And like that one scene, Tom, that you mentioned, you know, it was almost like, and, and I know I'm like mixing up, you know, all sorts of things here, but it's like, you know, th- this transport was like some kind of a creature and someone punched it. And it like knocked its head aside mm, and then mm-hmm. it just turns and looks at you like, oh, now I'm going to F you up. And <laughs> yeah. then boom, it yeah. gets blown up. Yeah. Like there's like you almost see the the way that they do this. And of course, the, it started on on um, uh, I, 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 the Battle of Echo Base that like they almost have personality. And, and yeah. I think that that's one of the things that's so appealing to them. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because there's a whole thing where if it turns its head and looks at you, it's like you know you're in for it, you know? And and there was a scene in the Battle of Hoth, too, where it, it I think it, it turned its head and stopped and kind of backed up and took out yes. a, um, a snow speeder. And it was yeah. like, yeah. wow, it's so cool to have it. Like, it turns, and once it notices you, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, here yeah, it comes. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The, the scene, that scene reminded me a little bit of Saving Private Ryan in the last battle, where Tom Hanks is staring down the tiger tank that's coming down over the bridge that they've been defending. And he's just got the last sort of seven rounds or so in his sidearm and he's just popping them off. And on the last round, the tank just explodes and you see the P 51 Mustangs come flying over. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what that scene reminded me. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they, uh, if the Mm -hmm. filmmakers admit to drawing on that a little bit, that imagery. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, Totally. Totally. Uh, the next one here, number six, is the Battle of Crate. Um, I will say that this is, to me, a battle which had some really, really cool elements and then also some things that I just wasn't crazy about. Uh, they try to bring in some stuff from the Battle of Hoth, I think, like with the trench and then the 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 this salt surface almost kind of looking like snow. They did the cool thing with the red underneath which was mm-hmm. kind of neat. And while there were some really cool things, I was frustrated all to hell with this giant death star laser thing that very slowly, very, very epically slowly 
was getting rolled into place to knock on the door of the old fort. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I wonder there, (laughs) there is an actual space battle in this movie and the, maybe the author just forgot about it. Like the movie literally opens up with, the battle That's at Dakar, mm, which yes. is a legit, I, I really enjoy that movie. I enjoy that space battle more than I enjoyed, um, uh, the, the space battle at Naboo, Exegol and Starkiller base. Um, but no, no, wait, that, that was the one with the, with the bombers in space, right? Correct. It was bombers in space. Okay. Sorry. Look, the visual guide explains it. You just got to crack open. The I visual know, guide. but it's just, yeah, if you need to have a visual guide <laughs> explain it to you, it's like, come on. That's the entire the entire Rise of Skywalker movie is. <laughs> and and, and you're right. You're right, Tom, because that that battle is actually, I think, much more compelling than this one. Mm. But, you know, of course, there were other stakes that they set up in this battle to make it more pivotal and meaningful. Um, but, yeah, that battle in the beginning was 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 pretty awesome. Yeah. I, and for Crate itself, I what appeals to me about this battle is uh, a the the absolute um, great job it does at showing exactly how strung out the resistance is. I mean, literally, all they have are these rusty ski speeders, these beat up old emplacements, and a trench right mm-hmm. that yeah. uh, against the mighty first order military. And uh, the first order does what the empire doesn't in the Battle of Hoth. They bring in air cover. And it's chewing the resistance to pieces. And, and in that moment, you get this great epiphany from Poe where he kind of sort of finally makes his transition as a character and realizes uh, what he need, what the resistance needs him to be. Uh, and it's, you know, not a gunslinger or not a hotshot in the cockpit necessarily. And, uh, you know, he has that sort of back and forth with Finn, who's still having his own struggles. But the moment where... Uh, I think Rose is about to get destroyed and you just see uh, blaster bolts come through from the Falcons quad cannon. And then the Falcons, you see the shadow first and then the Falcon come through. That's just such a great moment. And then when they lead all the, the uh, tie fighters off, Kylo's pissed off and, and sends all his air cover that way. Uh, and they have that little chase through the crystal caves. That's just a really fun part. Mm. Good. Good. Uh, the next one here, uh, rated number five, is the Battle of Endor. I was just number uh, five. This is mm, sacrilegious. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a top <laughs> three battle for me. This is number um, three for me. Yeah. It it's you know you have the second Death Star, which I think is it looks so much cooler because it is unfinished. Mm-hmm. There's there's something about that. And, uh, you know, of course you have the big surprise of it's a fully operational battle station. So, uh, you know, the emperor is blowing stuff up with it. Um, you have a really, really compelling space battle. Uh, you also have the battle on the ground for the, the shield generator station. And, um, uh, you know, the, the author here actually knocks the, the land battle uh, or at least part of it in, in terms of saying a very silly battle where stormtroopers are easily overpowered by an army of Ewoks, uh, which cheapens the danger the empire is known for. While I'm really not a huge fan of Ewoks, I, there's, it's a 
pretty regular theme in a lot of things. We've actually seen it in legit history that low tech can beat higher tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it is a, I'll have to message the author and have a discussion about asymmetrical warfare. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Hey, you know, we, we've, the, the American forces have, have seen this in a lot of places. We learned a huge lesson in Vietnam, uh, and other places, including some current locations mm-hmm. where, you know, people on their home turf, uh, with, with generally seen as, as a, a lower measured capability, uh, than a superior force can actually beat that superior force. It, it, it's, it's, it's how it is. So uh, the space battle here though, is absolutely fantastic. I still, and I enjoy the ground battle. I love the ground mm-hmm. battle. I love Chewy in the ATST. I, I, I love, you know, you rebel scum. I, every bit of that, I freaking love it. Um, you know, and starting with like the kind of the, the stealth incursion, uh, you know, where their, their, their passwords, an old one, but it checks out and they land and, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, you, you, you have basically your, your, your force recon that's making their way to the station to, to do this sabotage thing. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's an awesome battle all around. I love it. It's also good because it's got that three pronged, you know, effort to it, right? So you have three mm-hmm. things, like Tom mentioned this earlier, how there's these quick cuts, but you can still understand everything that's going on. You didn't lose track mm-hmm. of anything. You know, you've got the ground assault getting to get the shield down, you know, and then you have, don't worry, how do we get the shield down for us? And that's all happening at the same time. Meanwhile, you've got Luke, you know, confronting um, the Emperor, invaders there, and he's conflicted, and you got the whole thing, all thing happening all at once, everything comes to a head right at the end. And it's just, it's a yeah. great sequence put together. So yeah, I think much better than number five. Yeah, I agree. Tom, anything on that? I, I struck Endor is, that was my favorite return of the Jedi was my favorite star Wars movie growing up. And it was because of the battle of Endor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a fleet junkie. If you know the, the folks that are listening to this, that that follow me on Twitter, you know, this very well. So just the sight of the fully assembled rebel fleet jumping into the system, this is their master play. Now we've got some background from, uh, the, the, with the benefit of battlefront two and some of these other, uh, canon material that really add flavor to it. But this is the first time you've seen them all assembled and they think they're pulling off this great trick on, on the emperor. They've, they've caught a, a golden goose and that moment where they read the shield still up, you know, make the turn and the, the Imperial fleet is right there. It's just, uh, it's just a chef's kiss moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the, the moment where, Admiral Akbar wants to retreat. They lose two cruisers in quick succession. It it really, in the span of a second or two, conveys the stakes of this battle and how fragile the, the rebel force is. And you mm-hmm. get Lando making the quick argument to take the fight to the Empire. You know, yeah, yeah they've got a bigger force and uh, they're they're in many ways tactically superior. But let's let's close ranks and engage them at close range. And mm-hmm. uh, I just nothing's better than that. And, and then you know, the scene that I always love watching is that a wing Arvel Krenz mm. green leader just crashes into the bridge of the executor <laughs> before yeah. it can raise its shields. Uh, and it goes spinning into the, uh, into the death star. It's just great. And, mm. uh, I can, st- I can't think about that battle without thinking about wedge coming into the superstructure 
and saying that quote, like I'm already on the way out. Like, it's just, I remember seeing that for the first time as a kid and being like, he's really cocky, but he's earned it because he already. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So just a great battle top to bottom. Uh, their number four here is my number two. It was for a very long time, my number one. Um, and I still hold just an, an, an awful lot of, uh, passion and love for this one. And that's the battle of Hoth. Uh, like you guys said, this, there, there really isn't a space battle to this. Uh, it really all takes place on, on the surface of Hoth, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, on the way to, to echo base. And I just, I love the, the whole like David and Goliath thing that's going on with the ATATs mm-hmm. and the creativity in this, the cinematography is fantastic. Uh, you know, the, 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 the trenches and the speeders and everything else just freaking fantastic. I love it. Love it. This is my favorite battle. Uh, it, it was, a, a you know, a jockeying as a kid between this and, and the battle of Endor, uh, return of the Jedi was my favorite movie overall as a kid, but there's just something about this movie that to this day gets like my blood pumping. And I, like, I love the John Williams score mm-hmm. as the walkers are sighted and all of a sudden the speeders are scrambling and uh, I love that scene where all the rebel troopers are, are down in the trench getting ready for battle. And you see rogue squadron just flying over uh, mm-hmm. and sort of hastily coming into battle mm-hmm. uh, is just a, a phenomenal scene. This article, this first sentence here confounds me. One of the more unique decisions in the Empire Strikes Back is to have its main battle closer to the beginning of the film. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody from Screen Rant is out there listening, I will write an article for you for free. (laughs) If you want a listicle like this, I'm happy to put one together and it won't start with sentences like that. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. This is a great battle as well, too. One of my favorites. Um, uh, My only question was, you know, uh, what eight hours before they're having trouble adapting the speeders to the cold. And then all of a sudden they're flying. No problem the next morning. But yeah, that's a hell of a ground crew. I guess so. Yeah. 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 Just a bit of a nitpick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and the, forever, the snow speeder will be one of my top five favorite. Oh, yeah. Vehicles. That's a cool vehicle. The, yep. The big old black series one sitting on the table in front of me. It's just the sound of it, just the look of it. It's just mm-hmm. classic, iconic. And what we get here is an adept Imperial commander not named Darth Vader. And that is a phenomenal aspect ah, of this battle. Ah, ah. General Veers yeah. is like one of the best parts of the first part of this movie. I wish we got to see him more. Um, yeah. You know, I hope Veers watches a listener to the podcast. <laughs> He'll appreciate this. But it's a really unique look. We we get to see Admiral Piet uh, a little mm-hmm. bit in, in Empire and a little bit in Return of the Jedi. Uh, but we really don't get a look at, at just standard non-force using Imperials all that mm-hmm. much uh, in battle commanding. And mm-hmm. Veers is that unique breed that – uh, doesn't need any special fancy powers. You just put him in an armored vehicle and he'll get the job done. There's no, no finer scene in that battle than when he's not even at the shield generator yet. And he messages Vader and says, the generator will be down in moments. You can go ahead and start your landing. As right, a kid, right. I watched it and I was like, the ball's on this guy. Yeah. And <laughs> when I, I met Julian Glover at Celebration 5 in 2010 and I was so giddy he was like on the front end of his Game of Thrones um, celebrity at that point. But I went up to him and I, I just I pointed that out. I said, uh, you know, 
I don't know if you meant this, if this was just, you know, how it was written or whatever, but your like chutzpah for a lack of a better term, your confidence uh, that bled through really stood out to me as a kid and now as an army officer. And he said that originally Veers was written to be like very obsequious. Like he was like very submissive to Vader and like apologetic and just, and, and uh, Julian Glover said he read the script and it didn't make sense to him. And he went to, to Irvin, uh, to, to Kirshner and he, he kind of laid out his, his thoughts and said, this isn't how I want to deliver this character. He should be a strong, headstrong officer. That's very confident and, and competent. And Kirshner said, go with it. So we get the veers that we know and love. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it that, you know, Veers is like, yeah, I, I got this handled. You do you, uh, <laughs> It's, it's just, it's freaking awesome. And he still stops to uh, shoot that right. infantry soldier, like right before they, they fire yeah. on the shield. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, let's see. Rank number three here. And I, we, we already talked about this one, uh, some, but I think there's, there's a little more commentary on it. the battle of Exegol. Uh, I mean, in terms of, in, of ships that they brought into this. It was, um, it was really fantastic. I mean, there was, there was a lot of good stuff, um, that, that came in here and I was, I, I don't know. I, I think probably it's a, there's a couple things that, that bothered me. One, we didn't actually get a lot of that fleet combat action. Um, and the other thing was the, With space horses, I I don't know. I mean, apparently they were still in a breathable atmosphere. Um, I, I just I I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I, the I love the part on the ground with Ray and and Ben Solo. I like I thought that part overall uh, was really fun yeah. to watch. But the space, it just. The thing that irks me the most about this a case in point is snap Wexley. So, uh, snap, if, you know, for those of you who, you know, read stuff outside of the, the movies, prominent character, they build him way up in the aftermath trilogy. We get to see him as a kid. Uh, his mom was a, uh, an, uh, when a, a Y wing pilot at, at the battle of Endor, actually, when they go into the superstructure and you see those, uh, those two ships, the A-Wing and the Y-Wing, peel off. The Y-Wing is Snap Wexley's mom. Uh, mm-hmm. His uncle is Wedge Antilles. Um, well, I guess his stepdad. Yeah, yes. he becomes his stepdad, oddly enough, in the mm-hmm. uh, in the most recent book. He's also featured in the, the Rise of the Resistance book that came out right before the movie. Uh, he's prominently featured in the Poe Dameron comic series. And there's just he's disposed of in like a moment in this battle. Uh, he, yeah. he radios to Poe and Poe's like, wait, 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 look out. And he just blows up and then Poe yells, no, and you didn't even see him in the last Jedi. Um, and, and so I just, 
that moment right there to me, it, it just conveys the, the gaps in JJ Abrams knowledge about how to effectively shoot a battle like this, because I, I my mirror and, and the comparison that I, I use is the battle of Yavin because you don't see, you don't get to spend a lot of time with, with too many of the characters there, but you know, there, there are some core relationships there, you know, even though you don't see him on screen much, Luke has a relationship with Biggs. So his death is meaningful. Uh, as he dies protecting Luke, you know that there's a relationship with Wedge who saves Luke at one point earlier in the battle. So when he gets hit, it's also meaningful. Uh, you, you get the sense that there's a, a collective sacrifice being made on, on the part of the other uh, pilots here. But there's none of that played out on Exegol. I mean, you know, another character, Nine Nub, uh, co-pilot to Lando and Return of the yeah. Jedi at the Battle of Endor. He's flying. He's he's again prominently featured. He's in Force Awakens. I don't know if you see him in The Last Jedi. I don't think you do. Uh, but he's co-pilot of the Tana V4 Leia ship. He just gets mm-hmm. electrocuted <laughs> and like yeah. bursts into flames. Yeah. You know, it's just I, I this that battle may have been a casualty of, you know, whatever happened with the switch in directors and writing and stuff. I don't know. I honestly genuinely think that um, Abrams probably was putting a little more effort and focus into what was happening with Ray and Ben and the emperor. And this was just sort of a, a filler to him. Um, but I've heard similar arguments made, you know, different franchise, but with Christopher Nolan and how he shot some of the action sequences in the Batman trilogy, um, I don't really see that. I enjoy that trilogy, but here I just, I've got some real issues with Abrams and his ability to shoot action. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lou, anything to add to the battle of Mexico? No, I, you know, not my favorite. I I wanted it to be, but it was also one of those things where you, it's hard to do that much on screen and have it be satisfying. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, there's no way they could have possibly, I shouldn't say no way, but I mean, I don't think there's a way they could have possibly pulled that off to make that feel as satisfying as we all wanted it to be with as many ships as they had out there. I mean, it was just too many. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you I, see effectively show that kind of a battle on screen? My counterpoint, my counterpoint to you is a segue to the next one. Uh, the number mm-hmm. two on this list is the Battle of Mustafar, which mm-hmm. I don't know how the author missed the Battle of Coruscant at the beginning of the movie, but the Battle <laughs> of a freaking epic. Yeah, the Battle of Coruscant is my counterpoint to your uh, to your point that it's it's difficult to to show that much on screen. I agree with you; it's a challenge, but that sequence proved. Mm-hmm. albeit in a little bit shorter time span that you can effectively convey narrative with a hell of a lot of ships on screen because that opening yeah. sequence to me mm-hmm. second only to uh the opening crawl of a new hope where the devastator is chasing down leia's ship mm-hmm. um it's tremendous there is a lot going on but between the opening uh credit roll and uh, the the banter between Obi Wan and Anakin, you understand mm-hmm. what's going on. There's you know conflict there with Anakin's dis- desire to want to go help the clones that are backing them up, mm-hmm. but they're focused on a mission. They've got a focal point in Grievous's ship, and they face a challenge in terms of the Buzz Droids and stuff. You know to to get there. Yeah, um, I guess the only. 
No, ahead, go ahead. Uh, so the only thing I, I guess I would counter to that, Tom, is that in that opening sequence, we cared about obviously Obi-Wan and, and Anakin, right? And in their mission. And we didn't care so much about everything else. I mean, t- to me, though, seeing Exegol, where you have all the starter stories, which we know we all wanted to see again, um, and have them fight effectively, which I don't think they really did. Um, and then you had the whole rebel fleet, which we all wanted to know what ships were out there and who was doing what. And we had the ghost and we had, you know, um, you know, Corellian Corvettes. And it was just, you wanted to see all those ships do their thing and you couldn't. Whereas the, uh, you know, the first battle, the opening sequence is, is just, it, it's huge, but we only focused on a small subset of that. If that makes yeah. sense to you. Yeah, no, I, I totally and I realize that the two are, are very different. It's it's, you know, a different challenge to do an opening scene in the movie where you've got the benefit of a wall of text to set things up sure, sure. than it is for this culminating battle. But they bring in this massive citizens fleet and you get other than that amazing shot where they come out of hyperspace and and then maybe the shot of them falling to Exegol as they've all been electrocuted. It's really difficult to tell who's there and what the hell is happening. I think mm. if, you know, the shots would have had to been planned a little bit better, but again, if you go back and you have a focal point, say, you know, their focal point at that point was the steadfast. So Kylo Ren and, um, Allegiant general pride's flagship that had the, the signal beacon on it. That's your focal point, you know, have, have a mm. couple like wide shots or establishing shots where you show this massive citizens fleet engaging. You can have a little bit of radio banter or this or that, but then have, uh, you know, your shots based around it. They, they attempted to do that. I don't want to sell it short and I do enjoy watching the movie. I don't want any, anybody to get the, the idea that I hate this movie or that mm. I hate this mm. battle because I don't, it's, you know, is it my favorite? No, but, um, they did make an attempt to that. I just, I think it fell short. Um, I, I think about George Lucas. Uh, the story is he watched the first cut of the Battle of Yavin, and he forced all the animators to go back to the drawing table and before they redid anything, watch old World War II dogfighting movies. And I feel like yep. that's what needed to happen here. You just like sit J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio and mm-hmm. everybody down and just show them 12 o'clock high and a few other, uh, you know, classic World War II dogfighting movies and then be like, okay, now go back and fix this and all would be good. But, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all about perspective. I, I, well, and my perspective with this, uh, the battle of Mustafar is a duel. It's more a duel, less of a battle. I mean, you're, you're heroes. Yeah. Yeah. I, well. I mean, your, your focal point here is, is Anakin V Obi-Wan. Um, and, and it's great. It's epic. Uh, it's obviously pivotal to the entire freaking franchise. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know, just not a, a, a battle. When, when I think of battles in star Wars, this is not even on my list. Yeah. This is a fight, you know, or yeah. a duel. Like you yeah. said, Tim, it's not a battle to me. Yeah. Uh, so rated number one in their list here is the battle of Yavin. Yeah, we can uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we've mentioned this a few times. Um, battle of Yavin is, is obviously really epic. This was our, our, our very first, uh, you know, it came from a new hope. This was the, the, the destruction of the first death star. 
you have the trench run, you've got the battle that, that, that leads up to it and, and kind of that, that cover battle and all that stuff. Um, I, I, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's obviously iconic. Um, mm -hmm. you know, s several video games have been made out of this and it's, it's great. I, I, what do you guys got? It, and it's a true space battle because it takes place yes. in space. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's, you've got it's some iconic. real hero it's... moments. Sorry, Tom, go ahead. No, no, I, I was going to bridge off of what you were saying there. It, it's amazing that it accomplishes what it does solely with a space battle. It doesn't get the benefit of a ground battle. You have a bunch of helpless rebels at back at, at Yavin four counting down the minutes until their doom. But, mm -hmm. you know, that that just serves to ratchet up the uh, the, the drama there. Um, and it's just really, really phenomenal. I, another moment that's seared on my brain forever as a kid is watching Vader get his target lock on Luke. Finally. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, out yeah. of nowhere, uh, Han comes and saves the day. So it's just, uh, you know, with, what, with like, a rousing. Yahoo. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, so I distinctly remember watching this my first time on VHS. It was like a recorded copy that my dad had recorded, like bootlegged off TBS. Yeah. Pre-special yeah. edition. And like the scene, everybody knows the scene now. It's like this beautiful CGI X-Wings and Y-Wings taking off and this like massive setup scene. That wasn't how it was. It was like dots of light lifting up face <laughs> one on Masa at the Masasi yeah. temple there. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like having to use your imagination while watching a movie to think, Oh, okay. I think that dot is Luke. And then this, <laughs> the, the establishing shot of all of the, the, the sort of uh, fleet of X-wings and Y-wings, the 30 of them, uh, if you can call that a fleet, it was all practical effects. So it's a bunch of models on screen at the time when I was watching, I was like, that's really cool. Then you watch the special edition where it's like really polished up and done. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Oh, I can never go back. It's like putting glasses on for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so let's see, we've, we've hit, I think also kind of a few honorable mentions, uh, that we haven't seen on here. Um, I, I think one for me is, um, I mean, you know, the bad Lumimbin. I was, if you hadn't brought that up, I was going to ask you both about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, Lou and I were there and yeah, exactly. Uh, so got the mud it, in my boots. It, it was, it was tough. I mean, there was just, Thank there's mud everywhere. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. There's, there, there was mud everywhere. I mean, I'm still scraping mud out of, of parts of my body. Oddly enough. It gets enough. everywhere. It does. It gets everywhere. It's not like it, sand, sand, but it gets everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's a battle that I wish we would have seen more of. Uh, I mean, they, they, and I know it was just kind of the backdrop for a, a part of the story, uh, in solo, but I, I wish we would have spent more time in that. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they showed glimpses of some really awesome things. And there was a lot of, uh, again, like trench warfare kind of stuff that was in this. And I, I love the, the dark murkiness of it all. Um, the, the, those, those, the drop ships that brought in the ATSTs, I thought that was just like really freaking cool. Uh, there was great stuff there. I wish we would have seen more. I love that Han is fighting in the same unit as the clone army had fighting on the same planet. 
That's right. <laughs> trying to seize the same ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, you know. 224th. Yeah. That's right. The mud jumpers. <laughs> uh, you guys got have any others before we uh before we close out it's not a battle but i genuinely in attack of the clones love the chase scene uh through the geonosis asteroid field between Django fett and obi-wan mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. The, the sound in that battle like i i just probably named the, that that scene and you can hear those sonic bombs that oh Django yeah uses. yeah it shattered the asteroid. Those are very cool. Yep. Just a really fun, cool battle. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Those bombs were awesome in the theater. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's just fantastic because like the, the the sound just like drops completely for a moment, and then you just get this guitar twang. Yeah. That like <laughs> just rattles everything. It was fantastic. Yep. Absolutely fantastic. Yep. Um, I I have one that's not really a battle either, but I'll do the um, uh, chasing of the assassin. Through Coruscant. Mm, very good. Yeah, yeah. That's a. Yep. It, it's not a battle, but it's a chase scene like that one, isn't it? It's just, it's just fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. That's a long scene too. If you, I, I remember. Yeah, I, don't, it I is, think isn't I it? realized it until you go listen to the, the John Williams track. It's like eight minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize how long it was, but you're right. It is long. Yeah, absolutely. Lou, Tim, that brings us to the end of the show. It. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we did. Um, I think that's it. So anybody wants to contact us, you can do so in the usual ways. We're on Twitter, uh, Random Chatter and Force Chatter. You can find us in Discord. Probably the best way to interact with us, randomchatter.com slash Discord. And, of course, uh, this this episode is not on YouTube, but we do have most of our shows on YouTube. Uh, so, you know, like and subscribe to the channel on YouTube, randomchatter.com slash YouTube. And, uh, you know, drop us an email if you want to, too. We're always out there, too. So until next time, guys, take care.